When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. Today's conversation is one that you will not want to miss. It's no secret that I am passionate about education, especially when it comes to our teens. And while it doesn't make me popular with some people, I tend to speak up about the critical need for education reform in our schools. For me, it's not so much about education, but about learning and how we can fix a broken system so that young people of today will be equipped for the future. This isn't just about college prep or career planning. Don't get me wrong, those are important too, but I'm talking about the impact that our current education system has on our kids' ability to learn, to build skills, to explore, be curious, gain confidence, and self-worth. I'm beyond thrilled to welcome Dr. Sun Sam to the podcast today. Dr. Sam is the Regional Director with Big Picture Learning, a national and international network of schools committed to activating the potential of schools, systems, and education through student-driven, real-world learning. He's been an innovative educator for over 18 years. During our conversation, Dr. Sam talks about his own journey through high school and how it impacted the work he does today. He also shares how we can provide students with authentic opportunities to solve real-world problems. You won't want to miss Dr. Sam's perspective on what needs to change and how that change is already underway. It's conversations like this that remind me why I pivoted in this direction in the first place. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now let's get started. Hi, son. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. I am so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And I have lots of questions for you. But before we get into those, why don't we start by, would you just take a couple of minutes and and introduce yourself to my audience? Yes. Uh, So my name is Dr. Sun Sam. Um, I am an educator by trade. Uh, 18 years strong. Uh, wow. Been, wow. Yes. Been a, a teacher, been a principal, been a district lead. Um, and, you know, education is is a pathway towards liberation. And it's always been really, really important to me, particularly in my communities and marginalized communities. Um, uh, a huge focus of my work so far um, has been working in urban communities. But, you know, Every community uh, deserves high quality education. And I've always recognized that that was a pathway out. And so I'm an educator, uh, a proud educator that loves what he does. And, you know, it's it's like the cliche saying, you know, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And it's, it's really true. It's really, really true. That's fantastic. What a great journey you've had. And we'll talk more about that. But I'm curious about your start. So when you were a teenager... 
Did you see yourself as an educator? Like when, did you dream of being a teacher when you were young? 100% no. Um, <laughs> so, okay, a little bit more about my story. Uh, I was a young man that didn't fit well in the traditional school system. It's not that I didn't want to, it's just that the current system of education when I was growing up just didn't really have different pathways or modalities to really meet my learning needs. So beyond the rote memorization and, and regurgitation, if you will, um, I just wasn't uh, equipped for that. Um, I had many, many other talents, but that just wasn't my suit. So my brother, at a very young age, he did really, really well. Uh, funny story, but you know, he nearly broke down junior year when he uh, got his first C ever in one of his classes. Like he nearly had a meltdown. Um, I share this with you because at a very, very young age, um, an uh, the traditional education system internalized for me anyways that I was, um, I was not up to par that I wasn't fortunate enough to have that smart gene like my brother, you know? Um, so that really took a real toll on me um, as far as self-confidence and feeling smart and being able to learn. So uh, I wasn't a bad kid, you know? I knew that I didn't, uh, was, I wasn't fortunate enough to get the smart gene, but I poured myself into extracurricular activities. So, um, so I was deeply engaged in other things and my passion, you know, I played, um, organized sports. I was a broadcaster for the TV channel for my high school. Um, I was a barber for all my friends and a local, uh, barbershop. Um, I was a break dancer. Um, and I was just, I was just really, I was a kid that loved to move and just do different things. Um, but, you know, to answer your question directly, when I did all these incredible things outside of school that really prepared me for adulthood and, and life after school, when I sat back down in that same classroom, I was just a number, you know, I was really just another number. Um, and I'll never forget it to this day. And I want to share this number with you, but 172. Uh, my graduating class, when I graduated, there was about 220 young people in that graduating class. I was ranked 172. So that long journey to your answer, no, um, I really didn't like school because school, school really never showed me uh, an investment to who I am as a learner in this world and to my potential. Um, so... I wouldn't say we had an adverse relationship, <laughs> but um, I just, I couldn't be my full self in a system that didn't recognize my full self. And so I found it in other places and I kept it moving, you know? And so here I am, I applied to two colleges, got into one um, and it was there right around sophomore year. It was, it was through my extracurricular activities anyways that, um, uh, I would say 95% of my extracurricular activities worked with young people in the community. And so talking with my academic advisor, I landed on education and cliche, but the rest is, is history. What a great story. And listen, I, I know my rank too, because I was literally smack dab in the middle of my class, like 50% mm. mark. Mm. And I still quote that to this day because I, I couldn't agree with you more. I have this conversation so often and I'm seeing it in my own house. 
I have two teens who are very different learners. One's very mm -hmm. academic, has the smart gene. I mean, they both have different smart genes, but right. like he's very school oriented. And the mm -hmm. other one is curious and loves to explore and it's hands-on and it's experiential learning. Like it's all those things. Mm -hmm. And they're completely different learners. And mm -hmm. our, as you know, our schools are built for, for round pegs. And if right. you're a square peg, you're out of luck. Right. Um, so, right. oh, I love that story. Um, and I love what you said about education being a pathway to liberation. I've never heard that before. I'm going to quote you on that um, and share that with my, my audience and my social media because I love that. So let's talk about that. So I hate to say it, but school systems are broken. Right. I keep saying that. And I, I have to preface this all the time with I love teachers. Teachers mm -hmm. are superheroes. This is mm -hmm. not about teachers. It's about Me the too. system, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the biggest obstacles? And here's the million dollar question. How do we fix them? Ooh, that, yeah, I know. That it's is loaded. a million dollar question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I think there's it's very complex and is a multi-tiered response, but I think one of the big pillars of this problem that we need to address that has huge implications and ripple effects to everything else are the measures. If the measures do not change, practice doesn't change. Innovation, uh, it's very hard for innovation to happen if there are one set of rules on, on how this one set game is played, it's very hard for folks to sort of, um, to personalize what we know are, are the things that are right for young people is very hard when uh, at the end of the year, they still have the state mandated, mandated tests or they have the end of course exam or like, you know, these very traditional sort of one size fits all type of measures. So I'm a huge proponent of broadening our understanding of measures. Now, uh, those measures serve a purpose. I'm not anti those. Um, but when, the, when specific measures are the only measure, that's when you really, really um, cause havoc anyways in young people's experiences in education. And I'm a proof point of that, you know? I was, it wasn't until I was 30 years old when I attained my doctorates, when I finally, finally realized that I was smart, you know? And, and that was a huge defining moment for me in sort of self-actualization that took me 30 years in that journey to sort of get to that space because it was, the pain was so deep, you know, the trauma was so deep that it took that time for me to really like love myself and know that I'm worthy and that I'm smart. Um, but I think measures is a huge conversation, which, you know, so Part of the reach out, I think I just wanna, uh, I, I love that you were able to connect with the article that I wrote about my son uh, because- Yeah, let's, can, it, can you talk about that? Cause um, I would yeah. love for my listeners to hear that story. Yeah, so we'll write smack in the dab of a pandemic. Everybody's home, you know? Um, so everything that we've ever known about routines and schools and stuff is just shut down and we're just, and I was just able to observe my son do some things that I was just like, whoa, like, like what's going on? And I just wanted to capture what he was doing. So um, my son is a young man who has understood and knows how to play the game of education. He's not gaming the system, 
He just knows the game and, and points it in his direction. So for instance, tell me how to get the A. I'll do that. Leave me alone. So if you're thinking about having conversations with my son about, hey, the deeper meaning of certain concepts, how it connects to other things, how it preparing him for the future, you're not getting any of that. You're not getting any of that. Tell me how to get the A. So uh, the tragedy in that is he's a really compliant young man, you know, which we all know that, you know, in the larger scheme of things in this very complex world that's shifting, compliancy is not where you thrive, you know. Um, so he's always been compliant, but he really just doesn't like school. Straight A student, but hates school. So when the pandemic ha happened, uh, he hopped on. Uh, I saw him hop on his day-to-day -day school. Um, he started like around 8, 8.30, uh, and then he was done by 10 o'clock. He said, Dad, I finished all my assignments. I'm good. And I was like, what? what do you mean you're all good? Like, you know, what's going on? <laughs> And so he said, yeah, I finished all the assignments. I finished next day's assignments, but I'm good there. I'm good. I'm good. Trust me. I'm good. I said, all right. So we went on check. He said, he is good. So what Mason was doing was he did all the compliance stuff that guaranteed that he got his A, but to make time for other stuff that he was really passionate about. My son really is passionate about gaming, you know? Um, and just like so many other, particularly young uh, males in the world, I think I have some other parents who would join me and also say that there are some young uh, young men out there that loves gaming, as a and the passion. two, including the two in my house. So yes, there's two more. Yes, yeah, yes. Well, listen, they're not alone. There's about 460 million uh, active accounts um, in Fortnite. So my son was caught up and sucked in the vacuum of Fortnite, and that was his, you know, that was his thing, you know. And I, I described. So I sat there with him. I played a game, and I understood um why the attraction you know the way the game is set up but also it broke down for me a little bit a, a ton of skills that he was learning along the way you know whether it was uh strategic planning whether that was collaboration communication between his team um what optimal opportunities and locations and a little bit of the art of war meaning like you know leverage of positioning versus like vulnerability like there's just a ton of learning that's happening and then and then we had a long conversation i said my son we're all consumers on some level uh but i don't want you to not to, to just be a consumer i want you to be a creator and so it was mason that came back to me and just said okay i got you dad so i want to be a live streaming gamer i want to create content i want to get followers i want to be one of those guys you know i said cool you know, let, let's make it happen. How can I support you? So so he started talking about, oh, I need this equipment. I need this. I need this. I said, whoa, watch out, buddy. Like, dad's an educator. And unfortunately, dad's not on the Fortune 500 business. Like, he's an <laughs> educator, you know? Yeah. And, so, and so, but with one quick um, lesson with his mom around eBay, he learned how to um, put recycle items pretty much that he has no use for anymore. And he got really, really good. So from an entrepreneur standpoint, uh, from a marketing standpoint, um, he became a real quick uh, student of eBay and started really earning a lot of money uh, to the point where I was pretty much his handler. Like almost every other day, he would say, Dad, here's a box. I got to get it to the post office. Got to get it shipped out. Got my buyer. Like I got to make sure I, I got high ratings, et cetera. And I was just like, whoa. Um, so... <clears throat> 
I really captured it in the article anyways, a whole bunch of skills. And that's what I was trying to acknowledge is just that learning doesn't happen in six hours inside four walls. Uh, learning happens 24-7. And if we are open enough to pay attention and honor it in our young people, they're already engaged in it, Betsy. They're already engaged. They've built their own community themselves. They've reached out to experts. They've, you know, really, they're really, really inquisitive around this world and they're moving towards their curiosities and their passions. And I think the saddest thing for me is as a, as a father that's in education and I see all these different skills that my son is working on, his school has no idea, no idea. And there is no pathway to even acknowledge the brilliance that he was developing, you know, doing what he loves, which is gaming. And um, that, that was the point really just to stimulate the conversation in that we in education, we need to develop pathways and frameworks and structures to really talk about competencies that young people are uh, developing and, and then show them a way where they can demonstrate what they know so we can honor that and give them credit and, you know, towards that because young people are learning 24 seven. I first of all, for my listeners who can't see me, I'm gonna have a sore neck tomorrow because I've been nodding my head yes the entire time you were talking. Everything you said, everything. I'm just like yeah. cheering silently here. Yes, we are not learner-centered. We're not right. focused on helping kids learn what they need and what they want to learn. Right. We're putting them again in these boxes and saying, learn this. And and Exactly what you said about being a compliant learner. I have one just like that. Yeah. Does not like school, doesn't want to be there, but does what he needs to do to get the grades and move on. Right. And when he's not doing that, doing the same thing, he's gaming, he's on YouTube, he's taking something apart, he's teaching himself something mechanically. Like, and thank goodness, right? But a lot of kids don't have those opportunities. Correct. Whether the environment they live in or they don't have some a, a parent or some other adult kind of nudging them along and helping them find their way. So that's correct. I guess, I guess my next question then would be, do you have any tips or advice for parents who have kids like this, who really just aren't loving school and, and how do you cultivate that at home? Right. I think one is just um, exploration and communication with the school. Uh, I think it's super important to get in contact with the school um, and really develop a partnership with your child's teachers and also their counselors, admin. I mean, just in general, we, we need to play an active role in partnership with our schools. Um, you are your child's first teacher and number one advocate. And also, you know your child better than anyone, you know? Um, and with equipped with that data, I think making sure the school understands the type of learner uh, your child is, the type of strengths they have, the type of passions they have. Um, I think we just have to start conversations of how do we acknowledge that within the school framework, you know, and really, really working with the school um, to develop ways that we can honor um, young people's brilliance. Um, and I know that can be really, really challenging, um, because there's a lot of things at play from a state level all the way down to the local, you know, education agency. We call that LEA anyways. Um, 
But I, I, I do believe like there are models right now in Florida of some really innovative schools that are just doing things different. There are a ton of incredible educators doing great work. Um, so it's not it's not that we're lacking uh, educators. Is I think we have a system that is is lockstep built for a different day and age, and it hasn't shifted mm-hmm. that much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, going back to um, your your question of what parents can do, I think the one of the best options, anyways, is um, partnering with your school. Um, another option is really educating yourself as far as what are the different um, strategies and like, and who are the people implementing them um, nationally, all the way locally as well. Um, because that will go a long way into advocacy for your young person. So I, I know we talked briefly about comp C based education, but that's one of the ways that are really, really big. And comp C based education is like, it's all over the United States at this point. Um, but really comp C based education shifts the conversation from time that a young person quote unquote. So, you know, our education system is built in Carnegie units and these Carnegie units are this arbitrary sets of time that we think young person are going to master something, um, whether they get it or not, it's, you know, we just keep moving on. And because this formula that someone created, uh, years ago, is just, it's the easiest way, but you know, for our young people, sometimes the easiest way is not the best way to, to service them. And I think we have to acknowledge that. So CompC-based learning really opens up pathways for personalization. It's a different conversation. Going back to what I said around measures, it's a different measure framework. And now, and now we're talking about um, skill sets, competencies that we lay out as a framework um, that uh, young people now on their own pace and their time, they can show you when they're ready where they are in these uh, frameworks. And we could document that. I mean, a lot of schools use portfolios, digital portfolios or whatnot. And then eventually they land on a a transcript that is understood. And I wanna be super clear. There's a ton of work happening. That's a measurement as well, right? The transcript. There's a young people of all different sort of uh, schools are being accepted into universities and other programs. so it's not a matter of uh, the transcripts anymore. Um, you know, we also have seen that SATs have been taken out as far as the college, which is a great move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but an interesting except, fact. Except in Florida, but that's another yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so interesting <laughs> because today my kids, maybe yours as well, were just sitting for the PSATs. Today, yep. Today, yep. Mm-hmm. And well, it's not only... Locally, it's nationally. If I have some colleagues in California, like yep. they're on the same exact day. Yep. Um, so, so, anyways, I think to answer your question, as parents, first and foremost, I think partnering with the local school, then it's educating yourself, and then it's really aligning yourself with some of the um, movements that are happening around opening these doors and recognizing the brilliance. So, competency based education is one of them. The Aurora Institute is really the leading uh, researching body that's bringing a lot of uh, credibility to CompC-based education. They were formerly known as I, Nicole. 
Um, so, but their new identity is the Aurora Institute. Um, but they created something called Compassy Works, and I'm actually going to share with you and and your listeners, anyways, just a resource guide that folks can sort of click on to learn a little bit more about some stuff. Uh, but over the years, um, a lot of folks get it. A lot of get, folks get it. Uh, it's just that the work of you know an education system that was built in the early 19, I mean, 20th, in the early 20th century anyways, in the early 1900s, um, to move that in a way that is more learner-centered and student-centered is just a very, very big feat. Uh, Mm -hmm. An important feat and a necessary feat, but it's a... So what I'm excited about is that parents, if you don't know, there's parents, educators, policymakers, there's an entire community across our incredible nation that are working to um, develop personalized pathways for young people to really um, set up those pathways where young people, where we can acknowledge their brilliance, you know? And I think um, the more people that are aware of the good stuff that's happening. So like what the one thing I'll say to your listeners is, listen, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There's a ton of incredible work that's happening right now. Um, the question is, how do you get involved and how do you bring it to your community? You know, um, so and I'll, I'll definitely I'll send you a, a Google Doc with all these resources afterwards. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I will put yeah. that in the show notes as well as all the other links we've things we've talked about that have links. This is so good. Like this is this gives me hope because I, I keep saying the same thing. I'm like, how is it that we still have the same education system that was built hundreds of years ago. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially, you know, the 20th century learner is a completely different animal, right? We know this, we see it in our kids. They have technology at their fingertips that we didn't have even just 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. They have access to things, information and resources and experiences that nobody could have ever seen coming. And, you know, I do, I do, I've done a couple episodes on this podcast about the future of work Mm -hmm. and how do we prepare our kids for the jobs that don't exist yet. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that is this, it's about teaching them to learn and be, you know, lifelong learners and have a growth mindset and all the other things, right. Curiosity. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we're not, we're not providing that in school. And we'll be right back after a quick break. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. Uh, but let me just say, like, even though the future is unknown, there are some fundamental things that we can give young people authentic experiences that can build them for the unknown. So 
I'll give you just a couple. So first, so in this comp complex world that we live in, some one thing that there's not we're not short of is problems. Mm. Um, and I think that is a wonderful, wonderful way on so many levels to engage young people and prepare them for the future of work. First and foremost, all the way from K to 12. And I've seen it happen from you know, a first grade classroom all the way to uh, a capstone project by a senior. But um, giving young people an opportunity to understand deeply some of the world's problems, um, but also local problems that they're passionate about, because just think about it. Every single sector, anything that you could think of, there's a problem. You oh, know? for sure. Yep. And, but giving young people an opportunity to explore that deeply, like, like you know what I mean? Uh, giving them an opportunity to really consider like what's what body of work has been done so far to really address this problem. And then giving them an opportunity to think of new solutions and really back that up through evidence. You know, um, I think that's really, really authentic because if you think about the future of work, literally that's what work is every single day from, you know, that's from fixing the copier all the way to like, hey, we're trying to figure out, uh, you know, water sustainability or, the, you know, um, you know, with all this uh, weather patterns that are changing right now, um, how, how, how are we thinking about schooling differently, differently? Because, you know, disruption is going to happen. You know, this time it was um, disease, but, you know, we know that uh, weather is really, really going to play a big role in disruption. So when that happens, how are we prepared for that so that, you know, learning doesn't stop? Um, so those are just things that I think authentically we can engage our young people in. I think they should be in a space to demonstrate what they know. So not only like these standardized tests, but the, you know, um, in the education world, they call it demonstration of learning, performance-based assessments, et cetera, et cetera, authentic assessments. But it's really giving young people to teach what they know. And that that has huge implications and measures an entire side of brilliance and mastery that standardized test doesn't. I think um, we have to teach them how to be resourceful. Um, how do they reach out for support when it comes to their learning? They're already doing it. They're already doing it, you know, um, whether it's YouTube or just like local folks that they know, friends that they know, connecting with other experts, they're already doing it. And it's not even, I mean, the thing about it that we're not even re ready to understand that it's not, regional like young people because we're so interconnected like they're talking to people from around the planet you know um and we just we just got to open our eyes to see that you know our young people are telling us they're really leading the way like we as adults we we just need to catch up and support them um but those are just some things that when i think about the future of work you're, you're absolutely right like how do you prepare for a space that we don't know yet what's what's in that space, mm -hmm. but I think those are some fundamental skills um, that are really important for young people to be exposed to during, you know, their K to twelve experience. Even in college, I, I feel this is so good, such yeah. helpful, useful, and actionable information for parents. Um, I just think there's so much value here. Thank you, um, and I could talk to you all day, but I want to be respectful of your yes. time. Yes. The one thing we didn't touch on though is big picture learning. And yes. um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes. So the founders, uh, Dr. Dennis Litke and Dr. Elliot Washer, my two mentors, 
Uh, opened up the first big picture school in 1995 uh, under the premise of a student-centered learning design and completely blowing this out of the box um, education system and really putting young people at the center. So there's five design principles. So quickly, we're an international organization, an educational nonprofit. So the body of my work right now as a regional director, I coach principals and teachers in how to implement our design. And five core student-tenant tenets, if you will, of our design, the five core. Uh, one is personalization, what I touched on a little bit. So how do we create individual pathways for young people in education and honor their strength? So that's one. The second thing is really an advisory system. So a space where a young person is matched up with an adult that stays with them for a, uh, a certain period of time, but they're a part of a smaller um, community that's with, so they build those relationships, but they also build uh, the support system that they need to really help see them through themselves all the way to graduation. So an advisory system is really, really important. The third piece is really around real world learning. So similar to what I, I shared with you, so young people engaging in authentic problem solving in the world. Um, there's also internships, apprenticeships, all those ways that we can give young people those real experiences outside of the classroom that just can really prepare them for this future of work and also uh, citizenship. Um, the other piece is really interest-driven learning. So really, how do we allow young people to be the curriculum? Because they really are. They, they, they have curiosities, they have interests, and it would behoove us to set up a system to allow them to pursue those things and dive deeply into those curiosities and passions. So, And the last thing is something I'll touch base on too is um, authentic assessments, which are performance-based assessments. So those five measures, we've been implementing, refining for the last 25 years. Um, and so at this point, folks come to us and just say, hey, son, like, I'm super interested. So uh, folks come to us and say, hey, how can we open a big picture school? It's like that sort of high level touch. Or folks come to us and say, you know, we're really thinking about an, an advisory program, um, you know, and implementing that. And so we went off and, and talk about that and figure out how we can support each other. But yeah, it's um, big picture at this point is not my job. It's my lifestyle. Um, I pretty much bleed big picture just because, you know, as a young man who, um, yeah, who had a, a really long <laughs> experience with his own education system, um, education is really, really important. But on the optimistic side, I know how powerful it is. And I, and I truly mean it, that it is a pathway towards liberation. So it's it's what we need to do in order to prepare the next generation. And I know folks are focused on that. So we need to think about those things. So how many big picture schools are there right now? We have 60 uh, nationally in 23 states. And then wow. we got 150 internationally as well. Yeah. Wow. So we have... Yeah, we have 40 schools. Speaking of that, you know, something that I just want to throw a quick shout out to, because I think it, it really talks about um, the measures that we were talking about. So our Australia network, we have 40 schools in Australia, big picture schools, and they are doing something that we're bringing to the United States. So for our friends from the land down under um, have done some incredible work that's going to influence our work in the United States. But um, so they've created an international big picture learning accreditation, pretty much uh, their own diploma system. So uh, for folks that don't know Australia, 
uh, Australia has one test senior year, the ATAR. And depending on how well you do that, you either get accepted to universities or you don't. And sidebar for anyone, I've just dabbled a little bit because that's something I'm interested in, in the international space of education. No matter how we feel about the United States and how sort of, um, I don't know, prehistoric, sorry, I'm going to mm-hmm. trigger some people. That's a good but, word for it. <laughs> I'm going to trigger some people, but it is. It's outdated. Okay, outdated. Outdated. Um, <laughs> I, it's outdated. When we think of the international space, like times that by a thousand, they're way, way in the past. So I say all that to say it's, it's super hard, depending on the country, to really innovate because the system is so entrenched in every single way. It's really, really hard. So you've got this one test, the ATAR, and think about that. If you're a young person like me, I stand no chance in getting yeah. into college or universities, you know? Um, yeah. So... Uh, so the Big Picture founder, Viv White, um, partnered with the University of Melbourne, um, who's equivalent to the Ivy Leagues, if you will, in the United States. They got a researcher there um, that really much went in. So they developed a competency framework, pretty much, um, uh, based on our learning goals um, and set a matrix in order to evaluate young people's readiness, not only for the diploma, but after post-secondary high school. So it was backed up. Uh, it was researched, it was validated, it was normed. Um, so what they've been able to do now, if they've created another pathway towards graduation and acceptance into the university system. So talk wow. about like shattering yeah. you know, the glass ceiling, if you will, or um, just the ceiling in general. They actually did it. So it's a framework, it's a measure that we really talk about competencies around what young people should and be able, should know and be able to do by the time that they graduate, right? So that is the bedrock of all these different competencies and skills. We lay that out in front of the young people. Then we have the the experiences and the projects and the work that they're doing that we watch track over time until they reach to the point that we said you have you know reached mastery if you will of these and we give you credit for that and so what happens is they develop the system young people create this portfolio this portfolio gets shipped off and validated by the university and boom um if all goes well um they're able to graduate and have their own diploma and so um competency based learning we're doing an incredible uh, amount of work in the united states as well We just haven't seen anything like this where um, there are research analysts and specialists in the university that validates uh, high school diplomas in this way. Uh, we mm-hmm. just haven't seen it yet in the United States. So we're bringing that here for people to sort of take a look at and implement in their schools as well. So I'm super excited. If anybody's interested in talking about that, I love, <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. Okay, I'll be spreading the word among people yes. in my network about that. I would imagine, though, isn't that sort of like what's going on with homeschoolers? Aren't they creating these competency-based measures and you know portfolios and transcripts? And, and those young people are going to college, right? So is it a similar track? Fundamentally, it's, it's similar. Uh, the only difference is mainstreaming it, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. You know, where, where some mm-hmm. homeschoolers are individual and are in pods, um, mm-hmm. the practice is very similar. So they do run in parallel sort of pathways. Uh, the only difference is if we do this right, we'll be able to mainstream this in a way that public education could really, really implement this in a, implement this in a systemic way that will have way farther reach for more young people, you know, in our country. And I think I think really reach is the only difference. But you're absolutely right. You know, if we think about homeschooling and how there is a framework, um, I have to say I like I haven't dabbled too much in the homeschool space. But I also know that in homeschool, parents can sign up right for like curriculum that they 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 mm-hmm. use. Um, so oh, that's they can or or they cannot, right? I mean, some of them will buy the traditional homeschool curriculums, and and again, mm. I'm not an expert either. I just have talked to a lot of people in that space. Got it. And there's just so many creative ways to yeah. achieve the goals that you need to achieve. But wait, wait, you think about it, right? If if you are in homeschool and you are with your child that you brought into this world, and you think about learning, right? Do you sit them in the living room for 40 minutes, ring a buzzer, and now we got to go to the bathroom. We're going to do some science. Nope. Bring the big, nope. all right, we're going to go to the, like, it's just yeah. madness. It just doesn't make sense. Like, that is not a system. Oh. Which... So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you that. So, I'll say, yes, there, there, there are some definite clear parallels. Yeah. This has been eye-opening, enlightening, informative, just super interesting. I love this stuff and I'm passionate about it. And I, I keep, you know, pounding my fist for change, but, um, it's a big ship to turn, right? Like it's a lot, it's a lot, but it's got to start somewhere. Well, let's, let's, let's stay together, my friend, because from a policy level, I know there's some stuff in the works, um, some large, some large organizations such as another. So, there's some key players in this that we we can really sort of continue to talk about and influence, right? So because people people needs need validations in multiple ways, like, and mm-hmm. and rightfully so because we all need to be validated. But if you're someone that is a researcher and needs the research, the Aurora Institute is the organization that is providing the research that we need for competency based education, which opens the pathways for personalization. Um, one other organization that I think that is doing an incredible work in is called Knowledge Works. So they're an educational nonprofit. Well, I wouldn't say educational nonprofit, but they're impact. But they're like the policy arm um, of education right now. So they work with states to really develop policies that goes to legislation to get passed to open up room for innovation. Um I don't know if you know, too, like the biggest uh, I actually was doing my research when I came down here in Florida. Um, the last sort of uh, policy that was that went through the legislation were these lab schools, innovation lab schools. I don't know if you're aware of them, but no. they, they, they were innovative schools that were partnered with universities anyways. Um, but the legislation is there and, you know, the language is there anyways in law. Um, but now we just need some some updates. And I think for me, bringing competency-based learning to education, oh my God, and would be a huge game changer for um, the young people in Florida. Yeah. In Florida and throughout the United States, 
So um, my next question is, when will you be running for commissioner of education? <laughs> and may and may I be your campaign manager? <laughs> yes to the campaign manager. No, no, no to, the to the running. <laughs> you know, it's 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 super interesting, my friend. Um, I, I love what I do. I think everybody. The exciting thing for me is just that everybody can play a role in this and everybody should play a role in this. And everyone, education is everyone's business, you know? So from commissioner to local community member to particularly, you know, business owners, I, I feel and all these different, and like education is everyone's business. We all, we all have a vested, vested interest in this because we're all impacted by it. You know, if this goes well, we all benefit from it. If it goes wrong, we're going to be impacted by it, you know? So I think we all have to really get serious around that and think about ways that we can contribute. So uh, Commissioner of Ed's a really, really big political position. Yeah, okay. We'll, uh, talk, off, we'll talk offline. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Uh, thank you so, so, so much for being here. Let me make sure. So so people can find you. Where's the best way to find you and connect with you? Two things. They can find me on Twitter. Uh, my my Twitter handle is Dr. Sun Sam, one word. Okay. Um, and just my email. It's just sun at bigpicturelearning.org. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. Be, all right. Be well. Thank you. All right. You too. All right. After my conversation with Dr. Sam, I am fired up and you should be too. Education reform is long overdue, and it's up to us as parents to put pressure on our legislators and system decision makers. Our education system was designed and implemented to serve the learners of long ago. Our world continues to evolve, and our educational system is not keeping up. Competency-based learning is possible, and thanks to my conversation with Sun, I am hopeful for the future of education. But we can't just sit on the sidelines and wait for change to come. We need to speak up and hold our legislators accountable. If you don't know who to contact or how you can help move the needle, reach out to me directly and I'll point you in the right direction. As Sun perfectly stated, education is everyone's business. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful you took the time to listen, and I would appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 109, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. And if you know of a teenager who's unsure of their next step after high school, a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their career choices, I can help. You can learn more about me and the coaching I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child 
and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together.